Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's a pleasure to have your company as always. And well, since last week, a lot has happened, uh, not just on track, but off it as well. But don't worry, over the next hour or so, we'll try and cover as much of it as possible. The recording date is Tuesday, the 31st of May. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash Moto GP editor Pete McLaren and, of course, former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewin. Well, gents, uh, where to start? I think if we focus on what happened actually on track, first of all, and we'll meander our way through after that. Um, Keith, I think we have to, first of all, dive in and give it up for our rookies and our, and our youngsters on the field, particularly, of course, Fabio Di Giantonio, Marco Bezzecchi, Luca Marini, too, uh, in one of his strongest weekends so far this season. Di Giantonio sticking it on pole. What, what were they eating this weekend? It's called Magello. It's Magello cake. <laughs> I tell you what, the first thing I've got to say, Harry, you're going to have a job keeping control of me and Pete on this weekend, that's for uh. sure, because there is so much to talk about. It really is. Okay, I'll try and stay in line with what you want us to start off with, <laughs> just, to, just to try and keep you happy. But Mugello is, is the thing, isn't it, at the end of the day? But what a disappointment from a trackside experience. 45,000 people on the day, that's all. Nobody there. Massive ticket prices. Weather forecast was looking a bit iffy. Valentino Rossi not racing, even though he was there as a legend. And as it turns out, two of his bikes were on the front row of the grid as well. So that's pretty um, indicative of where they're going with that team in future. But Mugello brings out the magic in Italians generally. And you've got to say that it was, I think, the first place we ever saw Digi um, hit the podium was at Mugello, if I remember correctly. It was at Moto3. He just suddenly came out the box and was just brilliant at Mugello, just stunned everybody. And went on and did it as well in Moto Two, so I think um, he's got that great muscle memory. And sometimes at a racetrack, when it's as tight as it is, and we know how tight things are, that little extra piece comes from being in love with with a with a place like Mugello. It brings out something very very special. I've said it so many times in the past. It's like home Grand Prix. It's the Italian, you know, it's a major Grand Prix. It's the one everybody wants to win, and it's you either win or choke. It's one of them ones where home riders. Sometimes at their home Grand Prix, it all is overall. You, you, you're crushed by the amount of extra PR you have to do, extra work you have to do around the paddock, all the people you have to see, all the sponsors, the family. You know, God knows what else that you have to cover at your home Grand Prix. 
And that either brings the best out in you or you just collapse under the weight of it all. Mm. It, it was great to see them battling up the front, though, wasn't it, at Pete? They, fortunately, they couldn't quite stay with there. But, I mean, a great learning experience, nonetheless, to be following the likes of Quattararo through the corners as well. In the end, Bezecchi fifth, Marini sixth, Gigantonio uh, falling down to 11th. But they'll be buoyed by the progress they've showed this weekend. Definitely, Harry, yes. I mean, Bezecchi leading the race, as you say, you know, just priceless experience, isn't it? To be at the front of the field like that, as he was saying, you know, seeing these guys around him, the, the Bagnaios, the Quattararos, learning from how they ride these bikes. Um, it, it, I mean, Bezecchi, he's only a second from the podium at the end. I mean, it's within sight. Fantastic boost for him. So let's see where, what he's going to do this weekend. Did Giantonio seem to have some... He suffered with the tyres, it seems. That's why he dropped back. So not great for him. And then looking even further back, not obvious, but Darren Binder, um, you know, second best Yamaha. I know we're going to get onto RNF later, so we won't go there. But, you know, superb performance for him. He thought that was his best race. So there were so many rookies and young guys that really rose to the occasion. Perhaps that damp weather in qualifying. And, and it just, you know, as Keith was saying, some people will rise to the occasion, take the risk. Some will choke. Those guys really, in those really treacherous conditions, it was those rookies at home, the Italian guys, that all-Italian front row. Shame the fans weren't there to see it. But yeah, a big weekend for the young guys. There. And yeah, right, again, Suzuki absolutely imploded again. Both riders out of it again. Um, no more Suzuki at the end of the year. It looks like they're struggling to get every single race under their belt at the moment. But... I mean, I don't know whether I'm going to go across your um, <laughs> your cooking list here. Right. Keith, the, I was about to say, this is the time for your free reign. Go okay. for it. <laughs> 226.6 miles an hour um, to, uh, over the weekend by Jorge Martin on the Pramac Ducati. I mean, how bloody good was that to start with as well? Just to, just to sort of whet everybody's appetite. Must have been a, he must have got a good slipstream to get that as well, because I didn't get near that again during the course of the rest of the weekend. But uh, 226.6 miles an hour you know it's worth spending well is it worth spending the amount of money they wanted trackside to watch that on its own i don't think it is actually they they they, they went mad magello didn't they with the cost of ticket prices but <laughs> i'll stop I got so much in me. God, Harry, where do you want to go? No, well, no, this was this was the time then, Keith. I think because there is so much to talk about. It, we spoke about the rookies there. I think that was important to do because it, just to admire the work they have done. But in the end, of course, it was Banyaya, Quattararo, and Aleish Espargro finishing up on the podium. So, Keith, what did you make of the race in itself and those three on the podium again? And I think between us all, we've at least got two out of the three picks from our last from last week's podium predictions there. Well, I mean, that's a, that's an aside and it's important to us, but probably not important to anybody else listening to this. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think basically the race is boring um, at the end of the day. It, was, it wasn't a, a very enlightening MotoGP race. Bagnaia did exactly what we expected him to do. He's the fastest man all weekend. I think the mix of tyres that everyone was using, you know, meant that, it, you know, there was a, you know, from softs to hards right the way across the range, everybody had different different tyres on. You don't often see that either. Um, I think the fact that the, the, the weather uh, temperature dropped quite significantly on race day compared with where they were earlier on in the week as well. And these things make a massive difference to to the way the setup is. Um, but from, from a race point of view, Alasia Spargro, I mean, Aprilia are clearly there. Um, and with their new satellite team coming next year, you, you mentioned we wait until RNF, you know, Pete, a minute ago, but RNF obviously going the Aprilia way. I'm scratching my head with Yamaha. I do it every single year. I do not understand their style of management. I really don't. I don't understand. Either they have zero money at allocated they're just ticking over with with the budget for MotoGP 
Um, but their whole plan has just been blown out of the water. RNF have gone with Aprilia. There'll be a good reason for that. The Aprilia is on the ascendancy. The Yamaha seems to have flatlined for, for the last two or three years. Um, they have effectively ruled out top rack Razgeli Oglu coming into uh, a factory team now because there's no way that Keenan Sofoglu, his, his, his manager, is going to sign him to, to some, you know, late coming team, you know, well, there isn't going to be a late coming team because I think that, that Lynn Jarvis has already said that they're not going to run a satellite team and all the rest of it, which which just, I struggle with the commitment the Yamaha seem to be making. You know, they don't seem to be, we've heard lots of talk over the last couple of years and they've got great test riders, Jorge Lorenzo at one point, Cal Cruxo at another point. Nobody's getting used. Nothing's being, you know, dramatically improved anywhere. They, they put their latest fairing on for Quattararo and he threw it away for the race and went back to the old one because it was a million times better and look where it put him in the end on the on the podium. Um, <clears throat> and we've said it before again, without Quattararo, Yamaha will be absolutely nowhere. Do you know, I mean, I have no substantiation for this, no, no knowledge at all of what's going on, but it, it, if you were looking in from the outside, you would say that Yamaha were lining themselves up to do the same as Suzuki, to leave the sport. You know, it has that kind of feel about it that there doesn't seem to be that that massive commitment you need to push to the front again. It's almost like they're completely relying on Quattararo and nothing is coming through from the factory at the moment, <clears throat> including a satellite team, which has got to be crucial. You know, it, it's got to be a crucial element to have, you know, four good riders out there making it happen. Having said that, KTM, of course, decided that that's what they were doing uh, with the Tech 3 team when they moved away from Yamaha and KTM picked up Tech 3 and, and, and so filled the gap that there was there for Guy Coulon and, and Hervé Poncheral. Um, but now there's a big bun fight going on, isn't there, where they're trying to shovel one of their number one men back into Tech 3 and he's turned around and said, <laughs> no chance, Miguel Oliveira isn't having any of it. He said, no, I'm not going to Tech 3. Bit of a smack in the ear hole for uh, Hervé Poncheral and Guy Coulon, I've got to say. But, you know, I don't think we're seeing from Tech 3 what we might have done if they'd got one rider that was fully experienced in MotoGP. They've got two fairly new guys in MotoGP that, despite the fact they're quality guys, you know, you quite often find yourself at sea when they're trying everything in the box to try and make it work for them. And at the end of the day, they probably don't quite have the experience to to make those adjustments, to make those changes that they need to those factory KTMs that Tech 3 are running to get the best out of them and the riders. It, I mean, it, it's, it's a bit of a nightmare. And you can almost understand why KTM might want to get Miguel Oliveira back there to sort it all out. But Miguel's having none of it. He says he's talking with other people. Wonder where that's going. Because <laughs> there isn't anywhere to go. <laughs> now that we're two slots short, because I've, I've been trying for all that it's worth this week to get a call in to try and try and for try and get a bit of an underlying feeling for who's taking those two spare slots. And at the minute, I'm getting nothing back. Yeah, it does sound like it, they will just drop to 22, doesn't it? I'm, I'm not hearing anything either, Keith. It seems like Dorna would, would rather, or ideally, they would like another constructor to come in. But we spoke previously, that's very difficult to happen in this short time frame. So, yeah, it looks like it'll drop from 24 to 22 riders. We've seen, not well, we've got Suzuki, we know, are leaving. And then on the eve of this weekend, of course, Aprilia confirmed their two riders. So that's that's an entire factory team now that's done. That's the first factory team that we've actually got complete for next year. But as you say, Keith, that's, that's a big sort of boxes ticked as far as factory rides. Yes, there's a lot of places on the grid, but in terms of factory seats now, 
there's not that many left. And uh, I think this is, we're seeing the knock on with the KTM situation and Oliveira, where KTM have admitted that, you know, they've got Jack Miller maybe talking to them. They've got um, Paul Espargaro, Alex Rins. Well, suddenly, if those guys are on the market, you know, you're going to just say, well, hang on a minute here. And those guys are probably going to, well, at least some of them will insist on the factory seat. So I think, yeah, it seems to sign to reconsider or certainly look at, you know, who are we going to put where here? And Oliveira, he's a multi-time race winner for KTM, but suddenly now, you know, he's also saying, I've got to look elsewhere. So yeah, it's it's just making things, as, well, as soon as one box gets ticked, the other boxes become sort of more open than ever, don't they? Good. That's the way we love it. It's great fun at this time of the year. Normally, Mugello <laughs> is when uh, you get a few announcements going on there. But I mean, Jack Miller for KTM, that's pretty much seeming to me like a bit of a done deal. I mean, I've got a real, I've got a real feel for him going to KTM. I, I think that that's, you know, everything I'm hearing, it sounds like that's pretty much sorted out. Of course, a KTM rider, wasn't he, in his Motor 3 days? So it would be a bit of a homecoming. They do seem to have long memories, don't they, don't they, at KTM? They'd like to get the guys back that they've had in the early days and that they know they've worked with, they know them. Red Bull love him as well, don't they? They love Jack. You know, you see him on all the, the Red Bull motorsports channels. Jack features heavily there. So I'm sure they'll fully support that move. And Akiyo, of course, his manager, who happens to run KTM Motor 2 and Motor 3 teams. Long, long so, memories. Yeah, there's a lot of good reasons there. Long memories, but short patience. <laughs> I think KTM. <laughs> <laughs> on um, Keith, on uh, the Aprilia news, we were, we were waiting for Aleish. We were just waiting for that one to almost be a bit of a formality to, to re-sign. Were you surprised that Maverick has stayed on for another two seasons too? Do you know what? I've got to say it's quite clever in a lot of ways because that continuity for Maverick will be good for him. He can still ride a motorbike fast, but I think it's more about a team gel. You know, to, to take that bike forward, Maverick Maverick might not perform in the way that we would all hope and he would hope on race day. But I think his experience and the way, obviously, they have got something in Maverick that they wanted to complete that team. To you know, he's turned out to be the number two to Aleish in real terms. And if Aleish has made the step, which he has, Aprilia have made the step. And I think Maverick has obviously got some something to do with that in the background. Otherwise, they wouldn't have kept him. Otherwise, they would have let him go. They're, you know, I talk about KTM being fairly ruthless when it comes to making the moves. You know, the second rider at Aprilia has never never turned out too well for them, has it generally, as we've seen in the past. So I think Maverick has obviously got something that, that they, need, they need, they think they need. And that probably is a, a team spirit, a team uh, data acquisition situation. And uh, Maverick is obviously quite good at that. And he could still turn a performance. You know, I don't think I don't think there's any time you can write Maverick off just yet. Um, so let's wait and see how this season pans out for him. But I'm surprised and not surprised. I think I'd like to know the reasoning about, behind it, but no, of course no one's going to tell you that. But it, it would seem to me to be a team situation that, that, that works quite well. They're moving in the right direction with everything and Maverick has added to that and so they've kept it. And now that they've got a satellite team, of course, they if, if, if like most factories, the satellite team... I'll bet that Aprilia signed the riders, so therefore they can juggle them about, just like Ducati do, just like, you know, they, they, mm. if, if they want to put a rider into the satellite team, if Maverick still wants to ride, and he, he, I don't know what's in his contract, obviously, but they'll, if he's got a contract with Aprilia, I'm pretty sure it will say they can do what they like with him, um, as long as he's riding a factory bike. Um, so, so you can still juggle your, your pawns about a little bit on the old chessboard, can't you? I think it is a surprise, or I was certainly surprised it came this early with Maverick. But as you say, Keith, quite a clever move to lock the team down. They're having a fantastic season, and he just removes all of that 
contract talk. It stops Maverick being quizzed every weekend. What are you doing next year? You know, Aleish, who do you want next year? They've removed all of that out of the way. And I mean, Maverick took quite a jump, didn't he, when he went to Aprilia? Let's be honest. I know that obviously he split from Yamaha, but when he went to Aprilia, there was a lot of people saying, well, this is, you know, this is a bike that we'd seen Moto2 riders turn down. So maybe at Aprilia, they felt a bit of, you know, perhaps some loyalty that, you know, Maverick took quite a big gamble here. It's turned out well in terms of the, the, the competitiveness of the bike. But you know what? We'll keep the team happy. Aleish is obviously on flying form. Teams are strange things, aren't they? You can change something that you think won't be connected and it all falls apart, doesn't yeah, it? The, di- and the I dynamic think of the team you know, is very Pridia, important. Yeah. And I think Aprilia have been through so many hard years, haven't they? And they've got it working now. I think it makes sense to just say, you know what? Let's keep all the main parts in place. Don't rock the boat. Well, one thing that has rocked the boat, I suppose, uh, in the build-up to this Grand Prix and and what really uh, flips everything on its head, if it wasn't already flipped in terms of Suzuki going out and uh, rider seats suddenly becoming more available, Mark Marquez and that Honda seat. Of course, Keith, he said just before the race, this is going to be it. This is my last one for, well, the indefinite future, really. He's going to go off to America and have, have surgery uh, on that arm and, and fix, well, not just that, but I suppose his body, his mind, I think it needs a, a bit of a reset, according to his brother, saying that this is a weight off of his mind as well, that he's taken this decision. What do you make of it all? 29 years old, um, eight Grand Prix World Championships behind him, uh, an injury that isn't isn't right. He isn't able to ride the bike how he wants to ride the bike, and that makes a massive difference to a, to a man that's, that rides a motorcycle like no one else rides a motorcycle. Right decision. Um, and if it don't go right, then that's it. He's done. Um, I think Mark Marquez is on the very cusp of, of, of ending his career. And and he should, if that's the situation. He can't, we've said it so we must have said it every week on this podcast. You can't keep crashing the way that he does. Um, you know, otherwise you're, you won't have a future in life, let alone in anything else. He's only there to win... GP to win world titles. He's not interested in, in finishing, you know, in the top 10. You know, it's not what he aspires to. That's all, you know. I think that this is a, the last chance he's chosen. They've clearly been looking at this operation for some time. He's done the best he can do with the, the equipment he's got, both bike and physically. He's a clever lad. He's not an idiot. He's not mad, like everybody might say, because he rides the way he rides. Um, it's all calculated. If this doesn't work out, then that will be the end of, of Mark Marquez's career. You know, the fact that he's, he's, he's taken this at this point and decided that if it takes all year, if I'm not back this year at all, then that's fine too. So <clears throat> I'm not saying we're going to find out and, until he gets back on a bike. We're, gonna, we're not going to know until he gets back on a GP bike and starts testing. Um, Maybe that won't be until the Valencia test. Who knows, at the end of the season. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, this operation is a major, major operation. It's the last throw of the dice. If it doesn't quite work, then I think Mark Marquez will bite the bullet. I've got a feeling that he's, his mindset now, I think, is it's, it's an all-or-nothing situation. A bit like he's riding, really, but it's now a situation where he will make that call, I think. I think he's he's had enough of, of, of trying with the injury he's got. Now it's either fix it or get rid of it. It's been 18 months, isn't it, since the last operation? And, um, I mean, you called it right from the start, Keith, that he wasn't in his normal riding position and he didn't look comfortable. And I think we all thought, and probably he thought and Honda hoped as well, that 
as he built up more muscle, more fitness, that maybe that would come back. But it hasn't, has it? He's still, as he says, his arm is still, it's the rotation. It's his elbow sort of stuck out and it's not, it's, it's not moving as it should. That's causing problems with pain, with weakness. He's now starting to get problems on his left shoulder because he's working his left side more to compensate for the, the problems on the right. So, as he said, I mean, Mark keeps things to himself with injuries and pain, doesn't he? But when this announcement came out, you know, he said, you know, I'm suffering a lot. I'm not enjoying it. And, you know, it's pretty clear. I mean, he, it's pretty clear why he's made this decision. I mean, he did say, you know, big sigh of relief that the doctor's were able to say, yes, there is something that can be done. Uh, he, he mentioned that he'd asked about this back in October, as you were saying, Keith, this has obviously been on the cards for a while when he was sidelined with the double vision. And of course, that, you know, if, if you've got to sit out races and, and you need an operation, that would have been the time. But it seems that the bone wasn't ready then. It couldn't have been done. Um, exactly what this operation is, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it sounds quite complicated. I certainly not don't know the details. Mark spoke about sort of, a, they'll put sort of a crack in the arm, a sort of, it also seems to be described almost like a window to sort of realign things. That seems to be what it involves. It won't involve, thankfully, going in, I think, to this, this uh, the infected area where you had the bone graft and everything last time. They, they won't be touching that. Um, he did say this isn't a fault of the previous operation. That He's been to various doctors around the world. They, were all, they all said that the last operation cleaned up the infection, which was a big deal. That all went well. So this is, but but clearly, you know, it's not, it's not a normal, it's not operating the way he needs and he's not enjoying it. So, yeah, this is, uh, you know, as he says, it's, it's got to be done. And, and of course, getting that decision on a Friday and then having to do the rest of the weekend and knowing that if you fall and maybe damage it, I mean, that must have been weighing on his mind. And then he had that big accident in qualifying, of course. So thankfully he got through the weekend. And um, yeah, I mean, exactly. It's going to be a long time was his words. Keith mentioned the Valencia test, I think. You know that that's that's realistic, isn't it? Best case, probably the Mazzano test, which is sort of September-ish. But um, yeah, certainly he's looking to twenty twenty-three now. What a remarkable outpouring, though, on the slowdown lap. Have you ever seen anything like that? Every single rider that was anywhere in the vicinity of Mark Marquez, patting him on the back, giving him fist pumps. You know, I, actually, I'm not, as you might have guessed, an emotional man outwardly. But I felt quite emotional about that, watching him ride around there, because that was every competitor was feeling it for him. You know, every competitor knows what he's gone through. Every competitor, you know, feels the pain. I mean, I don't know how he rides the way he's even able to ride with the pain he must have. I'm sitting here now. I've got a shoulder ache. I've got an arm ache. I've got every ache you can imagine from minor accidents from my racing career you carry them forward you're never actually pain free most of those guys are never actually pain free once you've got through the first couple of rounds you've had a slip off here and a crash there we all watch it on tv airbags have gone off yeah everything's fine seen it in slow-mo where you know someone's got their foot wrapped around the back of their neck and the bike's dropped on top of them and all oh, they get up and walk off we're immune to what they're not you know they're being crushed and battered every single weekend and you carry those through the year you're never actually pain free for the entire year once once you, you started off so i think that sometimes we've got to get it in context you know what he is going through is massive every single weekend the pain level the fact that the frustration level that that he's going through trying to make that work the way he needs to make it work and finally we've got to the point where it's do something about it or stop completely and i think that's the point we're at now and fair dues i mean honda will honda will support him forever you know if, if it takes two years if he wants to come back in two years time 
there'll be a Honda there for him. But um, he'll make the call. 29 years old. He's just beginning to get to the zone. He ain't never going to be worried about money. He's never going to be worried about whatever he worries about. It's it's all taken care of. His family's taken care of. He'll worry about his brother next rather than himself. Fingers crossed. They managed to fix yeah. it and we see the mark of old. But I've got to say, it's a long shot from where I'm sat. We're saying, of course, isn't it, that, you know, even before the arm problems, he'd had two major surgeries on his shoulders. You know, he's had the double vision problems as well. It's been multiple things at the same time he's been dealing with. And exactly as you were saying, Keith, Alicia Spargaro, you know, he said, look, Mark is the strongest guy mentally, but everybody has a limit. And, and uh, you know, it just must, these last few years have been pretty miserable for him. You know, after such a perfect start to his career, really, in MotoGP, wasn't it, from 2013, winning, winning, winning all those years, Okay, the one year 2015, but up until 2019, and then suddenly, bang, everything for the last couple of years has just gone wrong. So, yeah, let's hope that this last roll of the dice, as it as it seems to be, works, and he can he can enjoy riding again, as he says. You know, I mean, he can he can he can win a few races a year. We've seen that already. You know, we saw last year he could have won Kota this year, but he's not enjoying it. He's in pain, and certainly he can't win a world championship riding like this. So, the first thing is to get his enjoyment back, and as he says, the results will follow. So. Let's hope the doctors are right and that this will make a big difference. Yeah, well, uh, I think we all wish him the very best and uh, a speedier recovery as possible for Mark Marquez. But what this does do is it poses an even bigger problem for Honda in terms of, well, who do they bring in to replace him, Keith? And, And actually, could we see a whole brand new lineup across both teams the factory and satellite for 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 next year because even with these these pains and issues mark marquez has still been the top honda more often than not yeah that question i I saw on twitter where are the aliens we've run out of aliens there are none anymore you know (laughs) who would you consider to be an alien in today's grid well they're all pretty damn good there's no doubt about that but there's none of those ones that you look at and go how does he do that like you Marquez, Lorenzo, Stoners, Freddie Spencer, if you go back that far, Kenny Roberts, if you want to go back a bit further. You know, there, there, there are no real aliens at this moment in time. But the great thing about motorbike racing is you just don't know what's coming next. Pedro Acosta, Pedro Acosta, all of a sudden he's gone. Moto3 world champion, looking like an alien on a Moto3. Little bit of a slow old start by his standards in Moto2. Bang, Mugello, he's there. And even though he's something like, I think he's 63 points, slay me if I'm wrong, but 63 points behind. I'll tell you what, based on Moto3 form from the past, if he manages to pick up the pace now in Moto2, he could still win this championship. Um, so keep an eye on, on Pedro Costa now. You know, there are going to be people scrabbling around trying to trying to sort out people like him for, for factory contracts in Moto MotoGP. Um, Polis Bargro hasn't performed. You know, it hasn't worked out at Honda, going back to Honda, for, for Polis Bargro. You know, Takanakagami, he's had his go. You know, it's not happening for Takanakagami. So start looking at, you know, Gura or, or whatever you might like. There are other riders there, but will they make that step to be the kind of alien material that Honda need? You know, Honda are going to be in the doldrums for a while yet. We talk about Yamaha being in trouble, but at least they've got Quattararo. It, what it needs is at the end of the contract period for somebody to go, here's 20 million bucks. We want you. That's what it's going to take. You know, like you're going to have to buy talent 
and you're going to have to bite that. It's not very Japanese, I've got to say, so I doubt that will happen. But, you know, the, 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 it's that old thing, isn't it? When Mark Marquez was at the very, very top of his game and there was the KTM rumours, if you like, KTM could have afforded him. KTM could have bought him. But if he'd won, it would have been Mark Marquez. If he'd lost, it would have been the fault of the KTM. So you're on a hiding to nothing. So it's all very well buying the top talent. <clears throat> Better you can do it with the ones you've got or the pipeline that you've got already. Which is the other worry about Yamaha, isn't it? Where's their pipeline if they've not got a satellite? Yeah. We can keep going on. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm picking on Yamaha a little bit because I love Yamaha. Yamaha have made, for me, consistently the best motorcycles for decades. We are talking about decades on decades of top quality, affordable, if you're a privateer, motorcycles, right up to Grand Prix level. So to see them in this kind of wishy-washy, can't quite nail it together kind of a scenario, just oh, it frustrates me. I can't imagine what it's like being in the team. Uh, I, and it's got to come from board level. There's got to be something. I mean, Lynn Jarvis and co, these guys have been around a long time. They know what they're doing. You know, it just seems somebody somewhere is holding the reins above them, probably like Suzuki. Suzuki had no clue at track level what was going on at board level. And I get the feeling that Yamaha are in a similar situation. You know, we go back to, is it selling superbikes? No, superbikes aren't selling at the moment. It's every other type of motorcycle. Is MotoGP prohibitively costly? Well, yes, it is. But welcome to a prototype series. You know, it's... It's going to be a tough thing, and Dorna and the FIM, Erta to some extent, but the F Dorna particularly, are, we're into a scenario that's getting really, really difficult for teams, promoters, tracks. Magello were greedy at the weekend trying to fill their coffers. I think they thought this is the last hurrah of seeing Valentino at trackside. We'll ramp the prices to this ridiculous level and try and grab back some of the money we've lost over the last couple of years. And it failed miserably. 45,000 people at trackside on a Sunday in Mugello. Unbelievable. Miss, they misread that one, that's for sure. I'll keep it brief, but just on the alien question, I think Quattroaro is making quite a case for it. I think if you're looking for the next one, that, that especially at this track, you know, a top speed track, I thought that was a great ride from him to be, you know, up there fighting with the Ducatis. Uh, and on the Yamaha situation, yeah, you've got to imagine that they really, it seems like they misjudged the situation with RNF, that, that maybe they didn't think that RNF might go to Aprilia or, or go to anyone else. And they were sort of, I think they expected this deal to be renewed. And, and, and Raza Mazzali is obviously not willing to sort of wait around and have his whole future hanging on a Yamaha decision. And he's gone, on, gone and got, what, basically a four-year deal from Aprilia, two years plus two, it seems, and really secured his team's future. So... Yeah, there's a bit of a misjudgment went on somewhere there back at the, the Yamaha board, I think. What what happens there, though, in terms of their riders? I mean, I'm presuming Dovi's he's done after this. Yeah, I think we've said that already. But but Darren Binder, you know, what happens there? Because performing uh, fairly well against, certainly, Dovi, but also beat Morbidelli uh, to the line uh, this uh, weekend. Morbidelli once again. Keith, you know, shocker, really, compared to Quattararo. So it's, I mean, it's like every week, isn't it, really, where there's some sort of, there's, we just talk about riders, really, it seems. But it's just, you have no idea what's going to come next, do you? Well, that's where uh, that KTM ruthlessness that I was talking about earlier, they're, they're sure on patience because they, they, you've got to make the move. You've got to make the, you know, make the decision. Dovi, I can understand why they signed Dovi. Dovi, Dovi could have brought something to the table. You know, he could have brought development. He could have brought, he's ridden, Across the classes, he's ridden really, really good motorbikes. He's been a world champion in the past. 
good safe pair of hands you would have thought but it's moved on this year's moved on you look at the the, 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 the lap times the track times of the track speeds and so on and so forth it's amazing how suddenly you become yesterday's man in in that situation you know dobby's done he has been all year um, they've honored the contract he's they've kept him going they've got no one else to really replace him with to be frank um but moving forward i i i'll be amazed if, if you know, if Dovi is anywhere in MotoGP next year, other than some kind of management role or whatever he might decide to do. Um, Yamaha have got a problem. Morbidelli, you know, nobody really speaks to him. We don't really hear very much from Morbidelli. I mean, that injury that he had, obviously it's affected his performance, both mentally and physically. You know, is that it? I've seen riders in the past where they've taken a fair clattering and they've never really recovered from it um, mentally. They've never really got back that mojo. And with racing as close as it is, everyone within a second, it, it takes an over-the-top commitment to, to grab that last, <laughs> I was going to say inch, and then I was thinking of Boris's imperial bloody um, measurement <laughs> situation. <laughs> I reluctantly said inch. <laughs> I meant 20 mil, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, dear me. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this could be a ramble now, couldn't it? Let's have 240 pence in the pound again, shall we? And um, and go with 20 shillings and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> I actually went through, my kids were asking me about that the other day. They said, what, what is Imperial, Dad? So because I'm old enough to re- remember the transition to metric and I remember how, how difficult it was at school at the time, or not difficult, actually, because it's quite, quite a bit easier to count in tens than it is to start talking about... <laughs> 20 shillings in a pound and 240 pennies in a pound. Oh, dearie, dearie, dearie me. Anyway, back to it. Pinching an inch is what it's all about. And you, and you really, for, for really. Our not, for our and non-UK audience, you count yourself lucky. It's, well, yeah. Was that an inch or 20 mil? Someone said to me. 25 mil, isn't it? An inch? I don't know. Fuck me. Oh, uh, I... A, I didn't um, expect that. Uh, this wasn't in the this wasn't in the show notes. Um. No, it wasn't in the show notes. Sorry about that. But you know me, I do go off at a tangent. But it, it's it's one of them things where everybody's got to find that last few mil. You know, it's that last bit of entry on braking. You know, tapping the throttle a little early. Yeah, it, it's so fine now at MotoGP. We talk about Moto Three. We talk about Moto Two sometimes being close, but MotoGP is incredible considering all the different platforms that these are performing across from inline you know fours to, to you know v4s and so on and so forth different different characteristics of motorbikes all with the same tires um different aero you know and they're all within uh, you know the, the widest gap is a, is a second huh, a lap is incredible so people like dovi basically the extra commitment you need i don't think it's there for him uh, i don't think he's got the, the headroom for that now so you start looking at youngsters who are going to be putting it in who are going to understand what Mark Marquez did, you know, eight years ago or whatever it was, when he when he first changed the whole style, and you suddenly saw the likes of Valentino Rossi having to experiment with Mark Marquez style antics on a motorbike and having to do that, otherwise he wasn't going to be able to perform anymore. And old dog new tricks, he managed to learn some, whereas whereas most people slightly older won't be able to learn them. I've never stopped rambling, as you've noticed. No, no, but that's why that's why you're here, Keith. <laughs> it, it definitely the fun, sounds like the funniest like... troll that I had this week. The funniest troll I noticed on Twitter was, "Who is that granddad?" Yeah, <laughs> I think I saw that one Whoever as well. Were, I enjoyed that. <laughs> oh, well, I've got granddad over here, um, Pete. 
yeah, I mean, to, just to pick up on what Keith was saying, obviously, you know, Dovi, but again, just to come back on Morbidelli, because I feel like we haven't really spoken much about him, to, but only because he's not been there. He's been anonymous. And before his, in, his incident, maybe there was an argument to 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 say, to go back to our alien chat, that he might have been able to, to be one of the next ones coming through. But, and I, I hate to say this, because who am I to say this, but is this is this him done as well? If he can't get anywhere near to scoring podiums like Quattararo? I mean, the good thing for, for Frankie is that he does have this contract in place. Yeah, and, but you could be bought out of the, contracts, can't you? The contracts, contracts in racing the, don't the, mean a thing. Yeah, traditionally the the Japanese factories they they do okay. you know with the riders it's quite yeah I mean potentially he could have been we, we've seen examples going back to Dovi in the past there was the famous example of Sona came into Repsol Honda Dovi had a contract that said you know you're staying with the team and they ended up having to run three Repsol Hondas oh, so they had an extra yeah. bike they had Pedroza Divisioso and uh, and Sona arriving so yeah so I I think Morbidelli can feel safe as far as next year but as you say harry you know making the perfect point there i mean he got on that yamaha at the same time as quattararo and with an extra year of motor gp experience at the time and they moved up together i mean what i mean morbidelli was supposed to be the team leader let's say at patronus srt and he was initially but pretty soon quattararo starts to emerge still frankie fought back the second year great second year on the on the older bike but then you know that injury at the start of last year it, it's just it just hasn't happened since. Now, obviously, he's changed teams. He hasn't got his crew around him. He had Roman Fulcada, vast experienced guy who was Lorenzo's crew chief. He's still, you know, he's working with Dobby now in the, you know, still at the RNF team. So we don't really hear because Frankie's not really saying, a, you know, a clear problem. It just seems to be, that, as Keith's been saying, everything's so close that it's a little bit of time here and there. But I mean, it's such a gap, isn't it, between between Frankie and, and Quattararo? And and you do you do get the impression certainly that Yamaha are, are putting the pressure on Frankie a bit of, you know, that you need to be closer than this. And um, yeah, I mean, as you were saying about Toprak, it, it means now that that there isn't a seat available. You know, this there's, there's no satellite team now. He would have to find a, a seat somewhere else. But there's such a, an overload of riders. I mean, we, we've lost two, so two riders need to leave, don't they? I mean, that's the bottom line. Even if nobody comes up for Moto Two, we've got to lose two riders. As you were saying, Dovi. I mean, he said himself, "If I'm not competitive, I'm not even thinking about next year." So, you know, and then someone else, and, that, and that's without anybody stepping up. And we've seen. Could there be Vietti? Vietti coming back to form in Moto2, you know, making a case that maybe he should be moving up. So, yeah, there's, there's going to be a scramble on for these uh, these last few seats. Well, you've got so Mira and Rins in there, haven't you? Yeah. Well, I, I, I just want to make the point, though, Keith, now that uh, Pete says, you know, we might not get anybody, st- well, that's without anybody stepping up. But I think we certainly will get uh, some riders stepping up, hopefully. You know, let, let's move on, I think, to, to a bit of Moto2 chat because it was a bit of a breakthrough uh, for Pedro Costa to, to take that first win in his uh, Moto2 career. And with that, becomes the youngest winner in the middle class um, and takes that away from Jorge Lorenzo, doesn't he? But again, you've also got Ayagura once again up there. More pressure on the likes of Takanakagami. Joe Roberts coming through for a podium as well. Uh, so, you know, and, and even, you know, Jake Dixon up in sick, uh, a strong ride from him. What was your take on the Moto2 action? And, you know, I think we're probably going to see, surely, the likes of Pedro Costa being snapped at the heels by some of the top teams in MotoGP, if he wasn't already. 
I think Acosta has just stuck himself back to the head of the field, hasn't he, regarding not just the winning at Mugello, mm. but, but regarding the, the, the management side of things. Um, and they'll, they'll all be looking to see whether he can build on that when we get to Catalonia, a proper track as well, Catalonia. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm really looking forward to, to the next round. Um, Acosta, he was always a superstar. He just dipped a little bit, didn't he? Um, you know, <laughs> natural fact, we saw the same from Quattararo. How much did he dip? He dipped that much. He didn't look like he was going to get a ride at one point. And then all of a sudden he comes back and he's World MotoGP champion. You know, it's, it's a situation where management have to make some kind of bold decisions regarding these. Again, the top rack thing. I, I, there's a lot of negativity about top rack when, when you look at some of the fan forums and the like. I mean, I bang the drum on. on I think top rack is, is a massive talent. I really do believe that he's a, a great talent and he'd suit an M1 really well, an M1 Yamaha really, really well. But there's quite a bit of pushback on that opinion. I, I, I'd be wondering what you two think on that and, and what our, our viewers and listeners think. In that um, Top Rack style, I just feel that he will adapt to a MotoGP bike. He's clever on a bike as well. You know, he's a bit forceful, which which might go against the the, the grain a bit with MotoGP. He might have to tidy up some of his slightly forceful riding because you ain't going to get away with that in MotoGP. Um, but there, you know, it, there's another contender for a future alien if he gets on the right bike at the right time. But it looks like, unfortunately, he's on the wrong bike at the right time because Yamaha haven't got, I mentioned headroom earlier, anywhere to put him. So it looks like, unless he changes mark, goes to another manufacturer in MotoGP, um, he's going to be staying World Superbike, which is good for them and maybe good for us as viewers. It's a very good point, Pete, isn't it, o on top rack? Because he's not just contending from a switch to from superbikes, but he's also contending with these Moto2 youngsters uh, as well. You know, who, and Moto3, let's not forget Sergio Garcia coming up uh, into the win for that one after his teammate demoted. Uh, Tatsuki Suzuki looking good as well on the podium uh, in Moto3. So, you know, these are, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of riders who are very, very good. And coming back to a point Keith made earlier in this show and also in shows gone by, it's about having that pipeline, isn't it? KTM were quick to lock down Acosta because they knew he they might need somebody who can either be there or, you know, uses leverage almost with the likes of Miguel Oliveira and, and, and Brad Binder in their um, KTM MotoGP team. So, I don't know, where do you look? these sort of talent programs, sometimes they're a bit like we say with buses, aren't they? You know, you wait and wait and wait, and then you get a load of great riders at the same time. And you end up with a problem a bit like KTM and Ducati have had, where you've got to try and find seats for them or try and keep them all happy. So you can either go sort of from a drought of, of riders and having to try and get them from somewhere else to suddenly having more riders than you've got places. Um, <laughs> that's the tricky bit with it all. Um, I mean, Vietti, we talked about, he was back on form, obviously he had the technical problem. I should, clarify for that you know so that he didn't get the race result but he was quick again so potentially he is someone if he can show that he can keep that speed and he's, he's joint level with the championship but then as you say harry where do you put him because you've got the vr46 team with bezecchi and marini so i mean two young guys they, they, i mean they one of them would have to ideally move up to the satellite ducati team or, or to a you know another team further up the ducati ladder you might say but that doesn't look like it's going to happen for next year so therefore you've got a problem then of if vietti was to become an overwhelming case that you don't have anywhere to put him even though you've got a motor gpt team of your own so really difficult to place people keith's question about um top racks riding style yeah i think that's really interesting i mean that say for me not a rider that is the only question mark he's not top rack in motor gp but whether top rack and the yamaha 
how that's going to work. He should have this test at, uh, I think it's Aragon in June, where he'll get to try the M1 and we'll get to see. It's it's so hard to predict. You know, you can take great riders, put them on bikes, and you just don't know. Look at how long it took Jorge Lorenzo to adapt to the Ducati. But then once it worked, he was away. Other people get on a bike and they love it straight away. So until he actually gets on the bike and rides, I think we don't we don't know exactly. And there's always going to be that question mark looking at the results of the other Yamaha riders other than Quattararo and the words from Dovi about there is one style of riding this bike. And certainly the stop and go style that Dovi's got and that he was trying to use in the race, he can go a bit quicker with it, but it's just not the way to ride the Yamaha. So it seems like you do really have to adapt to the bike. And it's going to be interesting to see how Toprak goes there. But I've no doubt that Toprak has the talent to be a really top MotoGP rider. And you know, sh- the other question is, should he wait for Yamaha? Should he wait another year? Or should he really just, you know, should Keenan, his manager, actually now aggressively pursue a seat with another factory while they are potentially available on paper for next year? You know, that that's the other question. Um, is Yamaha the place to be, you might say, even if he waits another It'll be interesting year? to see which way the other teams go, whether they value top rack as much as we do, I do, <clears throat> and, and so on, and the, the Yamaha do. Maybe... Maybe they're looking at him and thinking he's he's not the complete deal. Maybe they're thinking he's a bit too um, ragged in places. He's got bags of natural talent for being able to ride a motorbike, but can he convert that into the slightly uh, smoother weapon that you need for a MotoGP campaign? These are all questions that are going on at the moment. You can be absolutely sure of that. Even though the Isle of Man is a distraction at the moment, there will be a lot of MotoGP guys that are taking some deep breaths and trying to make some fairly heavyweight decisions for the rest of the season and beyond. And I tell you what, Keith, you can bet the other manufacturers when Toprak does this test, they'll have somebody at that track, maybe not the, you know from the team, but someone that they know, checking the lap times, checking. And if you're Yamaha, you would want a complete blackout on exactly how Toprak goes on that bike, wouldn't you? Of course, there'll there'll be so much media interest, they'll have to put something out, but they'll want to you know keep those details to themselves because if if other teams realise you know hey if they get the word look he was really quick on that bike straight away. That might, I think that might be the final thing that they need to go, okay, if there are people that are already, as you say, Keith, a bit like yourself and, and saying, this guy's going to be big in MotoGP in the future, that will be the final tick in the box. And uh, so, yeah, I think if I was Yamaha and I was taking, you know, giving him this test, I think I'd, uh, yeah, try and keep everyone else as far away from it as possible. I think we've uh, unfortunately um, left ourselves with more questions uh, than <laughs> answers, haven't we, really? Uh, uh, as... <laughs> As ever, uh, if you're looking for answers, uh, you've come to the wrong place. Uh, we're here to an- we're here to ask them though. Um, <laughs> one thing uh, that has before, because of course it's straight into another race week. So before we look ahead to uh, to Spain and, and Catalonia, um, we have lost sadly a, 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 a round. We're down to twenty now uh, after the uh, formal cancellation of the Grand Prix of Finland, Keith. And, and this actually you know ties into what you've been speaking about uh, in the last few shows of course with the ongoing troubles that are happening uh, between uh, Ukraine and Russia and in that region Finland, Finland of course very uh, near that area and, and, and borders and uh, the, the NATO news as well and, and in the end it's not happening in Finland for this year. No um, and probably a good thing I mean it's a good thing for everybody I think everybody's pretty well worn out already this 21 you know Grand Prix series is is a long, hard series. Everybody I've spoken to in the paddock says that they're relieved that they're going to get a longer break in the summer. Um, so I, th- I think I think it's a good thing from a team's perspective. They can you know gather up and everybody can get fixed and repaired and get their second win back for the rest of the season. But uh, 
yeah, you're right. I mean, Finland and Sweden both, you know, signifying that they want to join NATO. You know, the Russian thing, where's that going? How bad that's going to get? I mean, there's, they've got a massive border, Finland, with, with Russia, something like 800 miles. So, you know, politics, big thing. Um, and I'm, I'm actually quite glad we're not going there. It's, it's one of them things where it didn't look ready. Um, and I think that we could do without that. So back to 20 rounds, Valencia still the final round. We're going to have a good series anyway. But of course, there will be riders and teams. I mentioned Acosta earlier on. You know, we're a round down. So therefore, 25 points potentially that um, he isn't going to be out of grab. And, and, and that will come into the equation as well. So there will be uh, a significant percentage of the paddock that are sad that Finland isn't happening purely and simply because they've lost the opportunity for, for regaining points, if that would be the case. Big shame for the fans. Obviously, this has been delayed multiple times now, hasn't it? I think it was first going to be in 2019 or 2020. Um, you know, Finland, great history in motorsport. But as you say, Keith, from what we've seen, there has been one MotoGP test there, hasn't there, for the, with the test riders. And, and the track does look really, really tight. And I think it was something that even the MotoGP riders raised in the safety commission, just a lot of really slow corners. But that obviously, that's not the reason why this is this has been postponed. But, you know, that's another issue. And, and um, but I mean, 20 rounds, uh, there are whispers that maybe there could be another round that might might not go ahead. I mean, we've got these flyaway races at the end of the year. All of the official announcements, you know, they don't say it will be 20 rounds. They say it is planned to be 20 rounds now. So we may well see another one place. Japan is is the one that, that some people have question marks about. Australia, we haven't been to for a while, places like that. So, yeah, let's let, let's see if we get those. But as Keith rightly points out, this is costing riders points. If you're Banyaya as well in, in, in MotoGP, I mean, you, you've already now, he's trying to make a comeback. He's back on form, but what, what is he? 41 points behind. You know, there's 25 points that are potentially gone. And if another round goes, yeah, that'll be 50. So, yeah, a, a shame for the fans that it hasn't happened. But um, I think, as Keith says, there'll be a lot of relieved people to actually get a decent summer break. Certainly. Well, uh, we're straight into it, aren't we? More points up for grabs this weekend. Round, uh, what are we now? It's somewhere, we're round six, aren't we? Uh, no, we're not. We're round nine. Catalan, we are round nine. Um, the Catalan Grand Prix. Round nine. I was looking at the other Spanish You were Jimi Hendrix, weren't you? We're for six turns out to be nine. I was. I was. <laughs> we're round nine, Keith. Can you believe it already? Nearly, if it stays 20, nearly halfway through. <laughs> uh, and, uh, well, it's it's Fabio Quattararo and uh, Alicia Spargro at the top of the standings. We spoke a little bit about the Catalonia track last time around, <laughs> um, slating the Formula One's uh, uh, slight tweaks to the circuit. But go on then, let's give, give you a proper insider's guide now, uh, Keith, for, for Catalonia. What are you looking forward to? What can we expect? Catalonia is one of, the, one of my favourites of the year. It's not far outside of Barcelona. You can get to it by train. There are lots of really good links to get to the racetrack, which is really, really handy. You know, what's not to like about a, a few days in Barcelona, that massively, what, six-mile beach that goes right the way along the front, all the way down to the city. You can stay anywhere along there. Plenty of eateries and places to eat. Track itself, I like Catalonia. I like the, you know, it's got fast front straight. It's got uphill, down dale. It's got a couple of bits and pieces to it that I really like. And those final two corners... You know, you, you, you have 2009 etched in your mind, don't you? The, the Lorenzo versus Valentino um, final few corners. Yeah, we did talk about turn 10. It's, it's, a, it's slightly better than it was now. Um, but the old turn 10 before, unfortunately, Formula One stuck the chicane in there and we couldn't put the barrier back far enough 
to make it safe for MotoGP. So they've reprofiled Turn 10 again um, a year or so ago, two years ago, and and it's it's pretty good. So the Turn 10 into 11, 12, 13, the final corner, um, works really well. Great place to spectate at. Lots of really good bankings to go and look at. Um, very, very spectator-friendly place. Great place to ride. You know, we are going to have a very, very good uh, Grand Prix there, I think, this year. I think it's going to be a great Grand Prix. Mm. Pete, what are you looking forward to? It's got a bit of everything in the track, isn't it? But it has got a very long straight as well. So it's uh, it tends to be known as a bit of a power track. Last year, of course, the, the Quattro, the wardrobe malfunction, wasn't it? That was the sort of the, the big standout moment. The, the zip coming, you know, undone and the chest armor going. So we had all that sort of kerfuffle about, uh, you know, should he have been black flagged and everything else. This was it. And, and Oliveira, of course, went on to win. So, yeah, it's um, it's a track that, that, ten, that yeah, as Keith says, people like it. It produces good racing. It's, it's very easy for fans to get to. I wish the train stop was a bit closer to the track, but other than that, um, <laughs> you know, it's very handy. And it, and yeah, it's it's a great event all round. Well, uh, it all gets going uh, this weekend, of course. So uh, make sure you keep across Crash.net for all the very latest on that. Um, I think it's time, though, for uh, once again, our predictions. Oh. Now, people are getting involved as well. So thank you for getting involved in the comments. We do see them. So uh, make sure you keep letting us know who you're going for. Uh, now, we haven't. I haven't updated the points tally from, from uh, last weekend. So, uh, Keith, last time you went for Banyaya, Miller, Quattararo. So you get a point for Banyaya and Quattararo. So that's two in the bag for you. Pete, Banyaya, Quattararo, two points for you. And me, Banyaya, Alicia Spargo, two points for me. Bastianini didn't come through for us in the end on not not the weekend for Bastianini but that does give us all two points each so uh, but unfortunately Keith still leads the way in the standings with nine points uh, to Pete's uh, six and uh, my five so I'll tell you what though I'm closing in on you Pete I'm coming for you uh, oh, but oh. forget the points what are we saying for this weekend have I bided you enough time to have come up with a top three yet Keith it's almost impossible isn't it again I mean it's one and one where <laughs> you know like I always think a turn five at, Cast- at uh, Cast- uh, Catalonia because turn five I think is that downhill left-hander that everybody slips off at and uh, it, it blows apart any kind of prediction you've ever had I'm going to go for another um, uh, Bangnaya win I think I've got to go for a Bangnaya win Bastianini is going to be on the podium it's just a question of whether he's going to be second or third and Quattararo again so I mean I'm sticking with the uh, those three I'm going to go Ducati one two, so it'll be like I did last time. Okay. Uh, All right then. Strangely enough, so I, I, got, I got a little bit of Suzuki in my head for there as well. You know, like I was thinking. Ooh. But, but I'm not going to go there. I'm going to stick with two Ducatis and a, and a Yamaha. <laughs> All right, Basti, uh, Bagnaia, Bastini, Quattararo for Keith, Pete. What you got? I'm going to take a bit of a gamble. I'm going to go with an Aleish home win. Ooh. So there we are. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take the punt. I think he's if he can qualify a bit better, I think. And, and, and just the home crowd thing that Keith's spoken about, I, I think he could. Right. You know, this is his year. He could rise to the occasion. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go Ballsy, all in with Pete. that. Right. Um, go on. Go on. <laughs> Uh, Quattro is second just because he's, he, of anyone he seems the most consistent this year and I think if he can get on the podium at Mugello with that straight then uh, you know he can do it again here obviously pretty good last year last year, and, and Banyaya third because he's the man of the moment really isn't he and um, 
yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, as I'd like to go on for, for Bastianini again, but yeah, there's, there's only so many I, I think Bastianini's going to keep his tires in. I think if it's, if it's, a, if it's a hot one, yes, that is yeah. if it's hot, Catalonia <laughs> and tires, that's why I'd got him where I'd got him, just because I think that he's. He's the man when it keeps the. He, he, I don't know how he does it. I really don't, but he keeps those tyres good. You you make fair points. Um, I'm still not putting him in my top three. I'm going. I'm going rogue. I think. Well, I say I'm going rogue. I'm going Quattararo for the win. I'm going Alicia Spargro for second. But on the podium, he's done me well so far. Alicia, I'm sticking with him, and I'm going to go for Azarco third on the podium. Don't know. Did well there last year. Yeah. Went well last time around. He'll be at turn five. I've got my, he was my title hope last year. He'll be at turn five watching. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know what? You've got to risk it if you want to try and get up the leaderboard. I, I've got nothing to lose at the moment, so I'm going for it. Uh, so those are my top three. Well, let us know what your top three are in the comments below on, on social media or wherever you are uh, in the world and watching and listening from... I think we've just about got through everything there. Still so many questions uh, to ask, so many answers uh, to be found. But for now, uh, Pete, Keith, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. It won't be long before we're back, though, with you. Make sure uh, you are tuned in across Crash.net for all the very latest news and analysis across the week. Uh, And then we shall be back with you right here, same time next week uh, for everything after uh, Catalonia and what that Grand Prix brings for us. Get your questions in, leave them in the comments section or tweet, Instagram and Facebook us. Just search Crash MotoGP. And please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcast, particularly on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, please, please go and leave us a little review, five stars, write something nice, uh, and then happy days. Um, so uh, you do that, and we'll see you right back here next week. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.